Hello and welcome to Graphic Design on the Radio. My name is Adrian Shaughnessy. Now, my guest today is one of the world's most influential and important graphic designers of the past 50 years. Wim Crowell was born in Holland in 1928, and over a long and productive career, he's produced a body of work, posters, books, exhibitions, logos, uh, that has few equals throughout the history of graphic design. He has a huge following amongst young graphic designers. He frequently fills lecture halls. Uh, his posters, mostly done for Dutch cultural institutions, are avidly bought by collectors willing to pay hefty prices. His monograph, Mode et Module, occupies a hallowed place in the literature of graphic design. Uh, and now, a major retrospective of his work is being held at London's Design Museum. It opened yesterday. Uh, entitled Wim Crowell, A Graphic Odyssey, this all-encompassing exhibition of his work demonstrates that he is that rarest of phenomena, a bona fide graphic design master. Wim Crowell, welcome to Graphic Design on the Radio. Welcome. Um, so, can I drag you back to, to early days? Um, you've got ink in your blood, haven't you? Your, your father was a blockmaker, yeah, I think. My father was a blockmaker and a photographer. And a photographer. And uh, he really uh, uh, guided me to the art school, more or less. He loved. I, and, and during the holidays, I worked in the drawing studio of their business where he were, work, were working. And uh, so gradually I drove myself into that direction. And then when I proposed to go to art school, he said, yes, you should do that. Mm -hmm. So I was abs absolutely uh, guided by him. Mm -hmm. It was a great time. Yeah. Uh, most parents talk their ch uh, traditionally have talked their children out of going to d design school, hasn't they? No, no, no. This was the opposite. It was the opposite. Um, but I think you, your early ambitions were to be a painter. Yeah, the thing is that when I went to art school, it was a very old-fashioned art school, a real arts and crafts school. We learned painting and watercolor and sculpture and etching. And, and we did sometimes every now and then a poster, but more or less to, to practice lithography, not poster design. Mm -hmm. So I, f about typography and so on, I, we didn't know anything. And all of the students who finished that year of my year uh, became artists. Mm. So uh, when I left art school, I hardly knew what to do. Mm. I knew the trade of my father, I knew the graphic uh, fields, but uh, I was not trained for it. So I thought maybe I should also be uh, uh, an artist. I, I did a lot of painting, mm. a lot of, of uh, mm. watercolors and painting. And, um, but then came military service, uh. two and a half year in that time. <laughs> So it was two, two and, and a half years I could think it over, what to do, because oh. I couldn't do anything else. It was the most rotten period of my life, <laughs> awful. And then when I came out of military service, I decided to go straight to Amsterdam, because I was trained in the north of Holland, go straight to Amsterdam, because everything should happen in Amsterdam. Mm. But nothing happened, of course, <laughs> nothing. So I visited two of my elder colleagues whose work I knew, who were um, 10 years my, my advance. And one of them said, I have a job for you. <laughs> he was a graphic designer, painter, but also made a lot of exhibitions. And he said, then you can help me uh, to assist me with my exhibition work. And this was Dick Elfers, wasn't that it? That was Dick Elfers, mm -hmm. yes. In Holland, was a very famous man in mm -hmm. that time. So he gave me my first job. I was hired. And within a year, I learned the trade of <laughs> exhibition design. Mm -hmm. And all my life, I've done exhibition design next to my graphic design. The strange thing is, when I started there, 
uh, I found gradually that I didn't know anything about typography. And even in exhibition design, you need to know something about typography. So I went to evening classes of the mm. Amsterdam Art School for two years to learn typography. Mm. And my teacher was a real modernist, so that was the first goal. And, uh, and the second thing was that we got a fantastic commission in that company for the martial help. Mm. Uh, two large ships making exhibitions out of them so they could shift through Holland. And uh, they were designed by Swiss designers mm. and an Italian architect. They all came over to Amsterdam and they lived for almost a year in Amsterdam mm. during that. And I, I was helping them. And uh, so I came in contact with Swiss design. Mm. They brought, they, they took me with them to Switzerland and they met other people. I met Müller Brockmann for the first time and met Hans Neuburg. And so I was absolutely influenced by this period in Swiss design. Mm. That's incredible. Um, and um, this, was, this was before, this is long before total design, isn't it? Because long I think before, you, you yeah. set ten up... Ten years before. Ten years before. So we're talking mid-50s, something like it's that? 53, right. 54. Okay. Yes. Okay. And you, but you set up a, a studio with Colang Lee, Yeah, when I, uh, I was for two years in that company, and I thought well, I should start on my own. And that's when you, what you have, and when you're young, you want to start on your own. And then a friend of mine who studied on the art school in Amsterdam as an interior architect, mm. and we decided to go together. And so in 1955, we started both uh, doing a small studio, and we he did mainly uh, furniture design. He did also exhibition design. I did exhibition design and graphic design. And so together we made beautiful exhibitions. Mm. And the Tukvers, uh, we stayed in practice for five years right. until 1960. Mm. Our latest products we did in 1960, yes. Mm. And this, this uh, early um, work in exhibition design, that ties in with something else that I know about you, that you were very interested in architecture. You've always been interested in Yes, the, th the thing is that uh, I, I th think sometimes that I'm much more influenced by architecture through my work than by other graphic designers. Mm. Maybe that's not completely true, but any, anyhow, I love architecture. Mm. And I always have said, if I come back on Earth, I'll be an architect. <laughs> and uh, that has also... Uh, it's, it's basics in my art school in Groningen. My art school was the first modernist building in Holland, mm. 1923. Mm. A beautiful building, concrete, steel, glass, large windows, and our school was on the top floor of mm. this. And this building was like a ocean steamer on the street, a long building. Is it still and there? It's still there. It's, it's still beautifully there. renovated mm. now. And... Uh, so we were on the top floor, and the strange thing happened there, and that's when I felt for the first time how important modern architecture was, that for painting, they wanted to have very romantic environments. So they had heavy curtains for all the large <laughs> glass windows. Mm -hmm. They closed them almost so that you have a sort of sinister light mm -hmm. for our little, little uh, things that we had to paint. It was awful. It was a contrast with the building. Back to back to romanticism within this modern building, and that's what struck me enormously. Mm. So um, ever since I've been very much interested in architecture. And another thing is, next to our house there came always annually a circus, and that was a, a large Sarasani or a, one of the large traveling circuses. And I was much much interested. I always went there when they were building the tent. <laughs> 
you know. The, the tent construction interests me much more than <laughs> what was going on in this circuit. Really? I mean, with all these beasts and so on, I, d I didn't like that at mm. all. But the, the, the tent construction. And so I was interested from the beginning in architecture and mm. technique and, mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. Well, this is very interesting. We, we, you, you've, sent us, you've, uh, you've given us a list of music, so we're going to play some music. Uh, I'm going to ask you about your choice in a minute. But you, you just touch on one thing before we, before we play some music. You, you, you mentioned Swiss design and the influence that it had to you. What was it that you saw in Swiss design that was such an inspiration? Uh, it was, first of all, the first thing I met was the accidents test, the typeface. It is a sans-serif typeface, and uh, I, I like the straightforwardness of a sans-serif typeface, but it also had some elegance in it. It was typically manually done. And a very elegant typeface, and I, I fell immediately in love with that typeface. It was such that when I did my first posters for a few years later, I wanted to use the accident grotesque, and you couldn't get it in Holland at all. No printer had them. So I, I bought Swiss newspapers, cut them out, <laughs> the type, and blew them on. Mm. And so I made my first uh, posters for the Van Abbe Museum with, and, uh, with accidents grotesque. Cut, cut out of the newspaper. That's it. Yeah, Completely. Yeah. <laughs> but you just recognized something in Swiss design that struck a chord, did you? You saw you could. Well, see. it was a very structured way of doing mm -hmm. typography. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the composition on the page were done on a grid base. And it, it had always had a very clean and, and, and straightforward look. And that's what I liked very much, the, 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 the clearness of it, the, 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 the fantastic structure of books and, and, and pages. Good. Okay. Well, we we'll talk a bit more about that, and, and I think we'll get on to total design in, in a minute. But as I said, you brought some music in. Um, I think the first track we're going to play of the list you sent is a track by Laurie Anderson. Why did you choose this? Well, I can hardly say I'm, I'm, I'm not a real I'm not really in music, but there are certain things that I heard in my life that uh, that stayed. The strange voice, uh, what she's doing together with the music, so it's in an intermingling of voice and 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 music instruments that uh, inspired me enormously. I could you could listen hours to it, and that's why I put it on my list. Okay, well we'll play it now. I'd like to ask you a little bit more about music, but anyway, let's play uh, Laurie Anderson on Oh Superman. Hello? 
This is your mother. Are you there? Are you coming home? Listening to graphic design on the radio on Resonance FM. My name's Adrian Shaughnessy, and uh, my guest today is Wim Crow. Uh, that was a uh, choice of music uh, from Wim. That was "Oh Superman" by Laurie Anderson. Uh, that was um, it was actually a single from and in 1981. It reached number two in the UK charts, and uh, Wim was just Wim and uh, his wife Judith were just pointing out that um, it was actually number one in Holland. So. I, I just can't imagine records like that getting to number one in the charts these days. But anyway, that was on the Warner label. So, when we were discussing your, your um, early career, and we just touched on Total Design, I think, before we played that piece of music. Uh, one of the things that interested me about Total Design was that when you were planning it, you actually came to England to, to look at some of the English... Yeah, when we first planned it, it was a friend of us who uh, brought us together. Uh, a friend who was well known in the art world in Amsterdam, and he was a friend of some uh, um, people from a from a business side, and they uh, were looking for something interesting to do with their money, and uh, so uh, 
uh, he, he was a friend of these people. He was a friend of ours. And he's ex he proposed to these guys, from, well, let me bring you a few people together and see whether you can make a studio out of it. And um, he did so, and then we talked how we should structure it, how, when we should start, and what we should do. It was uh, two graphic designers, Benno Wissing and me, and uh, then Friso Kramer as an industrial designer, <coughs> and then the two business guys, uh, Paul and Dick Schwartz. And uh, before we set up, we said, let's go to England because Forbes, Fletcher and Gill just started their mm -hmm. business, small, mm -hmm. and we talked to them. It was a very friendly re reception there. And we also went to England, to, to Henrian, who we knew mm -hmm. from the AGI already, I know him. Mm -hmm. And so we went there and said, well, Henrian just had a commission from KLM in Holland, and he did already the second house style for, for KLM, the Corporate Identity Program. And uh, we asked him, why do you think these Dutch companies go to England <laughs> instead of to us? Mm. He said, well, you don't have studios. You are single designers with maybe one or two assistants, and they want con continuity. So he said more or less institutions like to talk to institutions. And so he said, uh, you should really start a studio that, that you'll see that will help. And then uh, Fob, Fletcher and Gill had a kind of structure that each of them had their own clients. So it was a, a loose together. And we thought that was a good model for us. So we, we, had our, we brought our own clients in. And uh, so we started, 1963, January. And uh, then an, an another in, designer in came in, Ben Boss came in. Yes. And... Uh, I think we were 12 people all together in the beginning mm. to, uh, with our assistants that we brought with us. And uh, then we found out that the trees really f grew into heaven. <laughs> Suddenly all the larger companies came to us. Mm. We, and we could do tremendous Were these work. Dutch companies? Dutch companies, yeah. all mainly Dutch companies, yeah. international companies. Yeah, so they'd stop like, going to Henry and in England. They yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think they stopped because KLM went on with Henry. Yeah, and, they, uh, they 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 went went with him mm. all his life. Yeah. But uh, uh, large international companies like SHV, who have supermarkets and coal trading, and they have everything. Such companies came to us, and we were very lucky. So, in the, especially in the sixties, absolutely. And, and what did they come from? What did you offer that was different? Uh, well, we wanted to do uh, straightforward typography. We want to make clear, for instance, uh, what is a house style? A house style is a means to tell to the general public who you are, and so the people didn't couldn't make mistakes between one company and the other. Mm -hmm. It should be very clear. So that was our goal, to make uh, programs that were very clear to the public so that they could recognize one company from the other. That's why you need a good uh, trademark. You need legible uh, typography, straightforward, uh, uh, bringing the product in on, in, a, in a proper way, uh, no, uh, no fantasy, just very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you you were one of the pioneers in, in certainly in Europe of, of what, what what was then called identity design, which, yeah. which is just the process you've just described, giving yeah. companies an identity yeah. and, a, and a personality. But that's nowadays, and I wonder what your thought on this is. Nowadays, that's become branding, and it's yeah. become something I think something different and something, frankly, not so good. But wh where do you stand on this branding? 
versus well, identity it question. It's a very, very difficult thing, I, and I have sometimes very great problems with it because uh, branding and, uh, and, and corporate identity is sometimes more, more or less the same, but uh, branding is more on the product directed to the product. So you have a company with a corporate identity, and under the corporate identity there are brands, various brands, and they always fight with the corporate identity of the company. And that, but I always had very great problems with. So uh, I, I never was so f in favor of, of working on brandings. I, I think I hardly have ever done that. Mm -hmm. I, I kept myself busy with corporate identity, but never with branding. Branding had too much to do with with the product and and bringing the product in the atmosphere of the product and the, and, yes. and these things really atmospheric. And, and, and branding people. D tend not just to be concerned with the design. They're, they're not at all. They're, no. they're, they're, it's sometimes a minor. It, you know, it's atmosphere. Yeah, it's atmosphere. atmosphere. And, 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 it's, and it can sometimes be a malign influence. It can sometimes be an attempt to, to influence people in, in a way which... Very much. Yeah, which Very co much. contradicts what you were saying. is that We want to be honest. Yes, exactly. Straightforward and honest. And maybe th maybe that was very childish sometimes, very childish of us that to think that the large companies would be very straightforward. And having we, I, I remember we had once a uh, large commission from an uh, international company, and we found out that they had a subsidiary that was a secret daughter. And they wanted to make us a corporate identity for the secret daughter. And we said, you cannot have secret daughters. <laughs> this is crazy. You should tell the people who you are and where you belong to. Mm. So we always lost. We almost lost this client mm. through this, uh, this argument. Mm -hmm. But we, we were, well, finally we, we made it. Mm -hmm. And so th this, this was your philosophy of design, wasn't it? This idea of truthfulness and straightforwardness. Absolutely. That's on the, on the corporate side of work, a yes. And that, and that comes from your modernist thinking? And it had to do with modernist thinking, with the modern approach, straightforward, uh, uh, open to the public and uh, democratic. And, and there's a whole, whole bunch of, of philosophies around it, mm. yes. Would, would you say Total Design had a political ethos at the time? In a certain respect, surely, we were absolutely on the left-hand side, mm. yes, absolutely. So that's why we could have such arguments with the <laughs> corporate identity <laughs> problems. But um, Wissing, I we, think we, wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't accept uh, uh, commissions that were uh, really right-wing mm -hmm. uh, geared things. Yes. Benno Wissing, I think, was very politically active, wasn't he? He was very political, yes. He was very... Uh, uh, almost on the communist side mm. in a certain period of his life, mm -hmm. he was a he was also the philosopher and the theoretician of our, our group. Mm -hmm. He he had a very strong influence of all of us. So mm -hmm. about uh, how how to do the work and what to do. He even wanted to turn over, turn around total design in a in a in a community that that all of us had shares in the company mm -hmm. and and uh, it just didn't work out. Mm. And so he, f at a certain moment, he decided to leave mm. totally. He was the first to leave. That was a pity, yeah. H how would you rate him as, as, as a designer? Did you great, yeah. Gr very great designer, very, very talented and very, uh, um, uh, with many skills. He was, he was a good draftsman, he could make beautiful drawings and, and he, uh, he was, uh, in his philosophy, he was very strong and very straightforward. No, I, I, I have him very high. Yes. yes, and he was—he was one of the 
I think I read that you were less interested in some of the the big um, house styles implementing them over months and months and months. I think you, I read you said you, that didn't excite you no, quite so you much. No, I, did, had, I that, was so he? lucky that I had a lot of uh, commissions in the cultural field. Yes. And uh, but I, I did a lot of corporate yes. work, yeah. but I. Honestly, I was much more interested in the in the cultural work, yeah. where I've got much more freedom to do. You see that. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly. I'm going to ask you about that, and we can talk a bit more about that. But um, before we play another piece of music, I just wanted to ask you about um, this subject that seems to hover over you all the time: uh, the grid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're probably fed up talking about it, but I have to bring it up. Um, can you, in a few, perhaps there, there will be people listening to this, well, I hope there are, who, who won't know what the grid is in graphic design. Could you perhaps explain what it is yeah, well and the then your philosophy? The grid is, is, is an underlaying uh, model for your typography. I, s I sometimes compare it with the, the lines on the football field. Mm. And within these lines, you can play a fantastic game. <laughs> but you know where the lines are and where you should go and where you could not come. Well, it helps if you're Dutch, I think. And, and that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to be pretty, any, pretty anyhow, good at it. Anyhow, uh, it is a, a structure of uh, underlaying uh, pattern uh, where you could place and structure your typography in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's, it's simple line structure. And uh, the, the Swiss were the first to, to execute that really in various directions. And uh, even Muller Brockman wrote a book about it. And this had all enormous influence on me in, in the 50s when I was in my, my, my years to form myself. And uh, uh, I got completely struck by it. And uh, I used it heavily every, ever since up to the day I just finished a book and I, I cannot work without, without a uh, cut-to-measure structure uh, uh, grid yeah. for, for the... For the uh, a book is a three-dimensional piece, and uh, you have uh, a certain place on the page on number one. On page 300, it should be uh, in court with, the, with, the, with number one. Yes. So the, yeah. the, the, it is a kind of three-dimensional system uh, to lead uh, the, the, the eye of the, of the reader through the book. Yes. And uh, I'm so um, uh, involved, I always have been so involved in it that in the 70s, my friends called me Gridnik. <laughs> I, that, that was the name they gave me. Gridnik. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> uh, and I felt flattered with it. I, yeah, I felt right. myself a Gridnik yeah, <laughs> in yeah. that period, yeah. yeah. And, of course, th there were times when you, um, your philosophy of design, which was based on this straightforwardness and um, creating identities for companies, this led you into conflict. There was a famous, co there was a famous debate, wasn't there, between you and Jan van Thun? Yeah, that was um, uh, a, a typical professional debate. I always had. We were, we were very good friends together, still very good friends, but we had uh, on the on the level of our profession a very strong. Uh, difference of opinion because he was he didn't use grids did he he went he, he did he did uh, he may also use grids but he never told yeah. us someone yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah. if I to look to his work I think he will surely also use grids mm. but uh, he was uh, um, how should I say much more subjective in his yeah. approach much more subjective he was uh, even more on the left-hand side than, mm -hmm. than we were. And, um, and he, b he believed in the designer having an input into the, comp an into input the content. input in, in the discussion. Yeah. And, and, and they should, 
maybe you can <laughs> compare with branding but he, mm. he, he wants to influence people through his work yeah. and and we did never want to influence people through the work. we want to be clear we want to be, uh, to bring ourselves away from the uh, scene uh, we thought you shouldn't stand as a designer between the messenger and the, and the, and, the, and the reader mm. we should be neutral and he said, you cannot be neutral. You, ha you have yeah. to have a, a vision, and you should display that vision in your work. Yeah. And maybe he's right, because it, it is always a very interesting discussion, and sometimes I, th I think he is absolutely right, mm. but I just can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, well, he's, he is, you're absolutely right. He's, he, is, he does beautiful work. He's a wonderful, wonderful designer. Okay, I think time for a bit of music. Um, you've got a piece of Steve Reich, or Steve Reich, I never know how to pronounce yeah. it. Yeah, Steve Reich. Um, why have you chosen this? Well, he is one of the great men in minimal music. And minimal music has to do with my work. Right. Trying to do minimal work. And, uh, and he is one of the great masters of minimal music. And that's why I choose him. For and and all your choices, people will discover. when They're when all about around minimal music. Minimal, yes. 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 And, and so it's that you see a direct link between this music. Because you said, I, I think you said, you think you said earlier that music isn't a big part of your life yeah. but you've chosen some music that you you feel is in sympathy and, and, and accord with your work absolutely yeah yes okay well let's hear some steve right very structured Thank you. 
This is Graphic Design on the Radio. My name is Adrian Shaughnessy, and my guest today is Wim Kral. Uh, we just played one of his choices of music, one of the pieces he um, selected, and that was Steve Reich, or Steve Reich, I never know how it's pronounced. Uh, there's a track called Pulses from the album Music for 18 Musicians, and that was from, there's quite a few versions of that, but that was the n- version on the Nonsuch label from 1998. Um, when we've touched on that you're interested in in cultural design and you have a huge body of work uh, th- that could be described as cultural design. Um, what is it that um, interests you in that in that sector? Well, first of all, it's, it's the, fr- the freedom I always get to, to do my work. Um, if you have a, a commission, you always work within the framework of the, of the commission and uh, you have to follow certain rules and to try to 
stay within the lines of the of the commission and uh, for cultural institutions they give you often much more freedom and i was very lucky that once in my life i met this director of a museum who stayed uh, for 30 years my client first in the van Abbe museum in eindhoven and then in the six from the 60s on to until 85 in the stedelijk museum in amsterdam and I was all the time his graphic designer. I did all his catalogs and posters. And in the in the fifties, when my, my formative years, I I was still, uh, let's say, I had a much more painterly approach. Uh, I just learned the Swiss design, and I was still looking through my eyebrows and 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 shifting with typography and 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 not not using grids yet mm. and. Um, uh, but uh, he was such a good commissioner, uh, such a good client. He never criticized my proposals. I showed him what I want to do. And he always said, okay, go on. But then he criticized when it was ready. Right. Then he said, <laughs> oh, this time it's not a good one. You're on your automatic pilot, you know mm. what he said sometimes. <laughs> and uh, he was very, very, very critical, but yeah. always afterwards. And that's the best a client can do. Right. And you use that for your next commission, mm. you know. Are you one of these designers that welcomes criticism? Uh, there are some designers oh, yes. who, who can't uh, bear it. No, no, I can bear criticism yeah, very yeah. well, especially if it's within the field of the work. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, of course, I can. Uh, I had quite some criticism in, in the 70s. In the 70s, I was absolutely uh, the head, they hammered on. Yeah. And uh, there was a, a journalist in Holland in one of the larger newspapers who had a column, a weekly column, <laughs> and that was all on new ugliness, uh -huh. you know. Right. instead of modernism and new design yeah. so architects and artists and and designers were her uh, uh, target targets you know mm. and and she was really sharp and for many columns i was the targets really? and uh, they even orga organized an, a famous evening that with that newspaper uh, where i met the lady for the first time mm. and and we discussed on the on the on the stage together mm. about our ideas with an architect also in in the, in the three of us and um, and was she speaking up for traditional design? Very romantic, very, oh, right, ro right, uh, very right. romantic so point she, of view, yeah, okay. and uh, keeping all the old things and uh, everything that was new was was a danger for us. So it was her view. She was very honest in this, <coughs> but being in such an evening, uh, quite harsh criticism mm. from the from the audience. They they, they they cried even fascist to me, you know, mm. and I, I didn't know what <laughs> to happen. <laughs> uh, anyhow. Uh, I I could I could have it. I um, I always thought well, criticism makes you stronger, mm -hmm. makes mm -hmm. you standing on your point, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, never diverse me from my path. Yeah. And so this great body of you of work you produced for these institutions, uh, mainly the Stedelijk, um, th these are extraordinary works of art. And 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 I had a I had an interesting experience. Um, only last week, I was talking to some students about some work. I was critiquing the work they'd done. And the thing I noticed about their work is they all had... They were cramming ideas into a single statement. They were yeah. putting three or four <coughs> ideas in. And I suddenly remembered your Stadelik posters. And I said, go and look at Wim Crowell's Stadelik. Yeah. There's one only one ever idea. one idea. Yeah. One, one idea. idea. Well, uh, often the one idea was uh, my translation into typography of the work of, of on show either the work from an artist or a whole exhibition of their various type of work. I always try to grasp this, uh, this, this, this exhibition 
translated in my head into the, f the, the main word on the poster or something like that to, to have to bring in the atmosphere of the of the uh, of the exhibition into typography mm -hmm. and um, so that's why I could experiment with very different typefaces and things that I draw myself. Yes, the, the, there's a, the, the one that always stands out for me. Uh, I mean, they're all they've all got some value, but the one that stands out for me is the uh, Klaus Oldenburg one. Could you just? I know we're yeah. on. The, I know we're on the radio here, and we can't yeah, show. No, it, but I, I could you describe knew, that one? Because uh, yes, that I knew Klaus Oldenburg quite well as a person, and uh, when he had this exhibition on soft. Uh, machinery, soft things, everything that we know are very hard. Mm. He made it soft, mm. down inside. And uh, I thought I should make the name Klaus Oldenburg in a very soft <laughs> typeface mm. so that it is immediately clear that it belongs to Klaus Oldenburg. So I did indeed a very soft, inner rounded, uh, heavy words, Klaus Oldenburg. And when he saw it, when he saw the design, he said, oh, Christ, that's what I love. <laughs> it goes absolutely with, with my images. And really? Couldn't you make a whole alphabet for me? <laughs> so I drew a whole page, A0 page, with his large alphabet on mm. it, and he gave me a nice t drawing in return really? for it. It was fantastic. Yeah. He, uh, he was a very, very good uh, friend of us, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that poster always seems to me to kind of uh, uh, encapsulate what, what do you do. It makes it very clear, indeed, what I wanted yes. to, to do with my yes, work. Yeah. Yes, So um, at some point, I think in the, am I right in saying, the, in the 1980s, you left Total Design and to, to teach, didn't you? In 80, I went to the university to teach, and, um, and I still worked uh, only on the work for the Stedelijk Museum until 1985. Right. So I had still had an assistant in Total mm -hmm. Design mm -hmm. and my chair, and I could work on this series to finish it off. And uh, then in uh, 85, I became director of a museum. But these five years I've been teaching, being dean of the faculty mm. of industrial design in Delft. So there was another field that interests me very much. Mm -hmm. Industrial design is, is a field that, mm. uh, and I gave the basic design course, right. basic form course. Right, so it was an, it was product design rather than graphic design. Yeah, but all of, uh, they they needed uh, to know something about typography right. for the descriptions of the of the of the products and so mm. on. Mm. So and the lettering on the products and mm. so on. But it was not only that what I did. I also d gave the basic form course. Yes. So yes. That's, that had nothing to do with typography. Yes. No. Yeah, and. What about education? Um, are you a, are you one of nature's teachers? Do you do you like teaching? I have I've done teaching all my life, mm. and uh, always one or two days a week, and um, I like teaching because you have to formulate your ideas very sharp so that others understand it, mm. and it's always in favor of yourself also. Mm. So to make myself clear to the to the students, that helps me enormous to develop my own ideas, mm. and. Um, listening to the students, what their reaction was on my ideas. And uh, I always try to give them a, a, a good out view on, on the whole field that we were not, not, not really within strong borders, but a very wide field. I, I showed them art, mm. I showed them technique, I showed them industrial design, uh, more or less to make clear that all these things were, had something in common. In the in the in the design world, yes. and and do you um, do you see much of, of contemporary current education? Do you look at do you go to visit art schools? And not at the moment. Mm. Not, and I must say honestly, it's a few years ago that I 
stopped teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, I every now and then come in the um, in uh, Delft in the university mm -hmm. to come back to give a lecture or mm -hmm. something like that. But I, I not I'm not really in it at the moment, so yes. I, I couldn't criticize anything yes. of that at the yeah. moment. Well, um, I think we should have another piece of music, and then I want to talk to you about the show that's on that just opened yesterday. And Margaret uh, Cabbage, who's one of the curators, is, is, is going to join us and talk about that. Um, so I think the next piece of music is, uh, I think we've got um, Einstein on the beach. Yes. Philip Glass I lined up. That, yes. Okay. Einstein on the beach. Okay. Well, let's play that, and we can talk a little bit about it afterwards. Philip Glass.
Okay, that was uh, Philip Glass, piece of archetypal minimalism. Uh, that was from his opera Einstein on the Beach. It was from 1979, and that was uh, an, a recording on the Electra label. Um, so, Wim, we're. Um, you, Could I you say something about this? Yes, music? of course. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I, it reminds me also on uh, Bob Wilson, who staged this mm. uh, piece uh, of Einstein on the Beach, and I, I loved that piece very much. Mm. And uh, I invited Bob Wilson to do an exhibition in my museum when I was museum mm. director. When a he did made a fantastic exhibition for me on uh, on the collection of the museum all from all directions yeah. it was a great stage um, and he could make fantastic exhibitions yeah. that's just what i want to say yeah no, no well <laughs> th that's very interesting and, and he he is an interesting guy is he is he also known as robert wilson, I, robert I, wilson yeah yes, yeah yes. i am um, we call him bob wilson you and his friend <laughs> bob to his friends but I, I i i know about his he did an amazing project with tom waits i think oh yes, he, yes, yeah, yes which yes, which Anyway, um, we're getting close to the end. Um, I do want to talk to you about your um, your show that just opened at the Design Museum. And as I mentioned earlier, um, Margaret Cabbage is one of the curators. Along uh, she's cu curated it alongside my my chum uh, Tony Brook. Um, Margaret, maybe I could ask ask you what's the um, uh, how does how does this fit into the Design Museum's scheme of things? Because you 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 look at all aspects of design, don't you? Why Wim Kral? Should we should we put it like that? Um, well, as you said, the Design Museum covers all disciplines, and um, it's been a it's been a while, a few years before since we've covered a we've done a retrospective on a graphic designer, and um, it just seemed the right time for Dutch design, really. Um, especially with all the publications that seem to be coming out on total design yeah. and um, it just seemed the, the right moment. Yes, and there is this thing, which I'm going to ask women in a second, but I'll ask you first, that there is this extraordinary thing that, that you know, he's been working since, as he said earlier, since the 1950s, um, all through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and yet his work is, is, well, it's probably more popular now than, than, than it was. What, why do you think that is? Why is there this phenomenal interest in this body of work? Well, it's remarkable. I suppose um, the and this one thing I think the exhibition uh, shows is how prolific um, and uh, multidisciplinary, I suppose, as well, in the, the even though it's he's known for his graf graphic design, the spatial awareness, both two-dimensionally and three-dimensionally, is, is uh, visible in in all aspects of his work. So um, I think there's that multidisciplinary appeal, although um, obviously within the graphic community he's more widely known. Hmm. Wim, why do you, why do well you think you're so popular? It's difficult to, uh, to understand. <coughs> Sometimes I don't know how I should look at it. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> the thing is that uh, I saw my work coming back in England in the end of the 90s in, in pop magazines when they used my new alphabet from 1967 as headings, a very unreadable and straightforward uh, 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 alphabet I did once. And they, they used that and made it a little more legible <laughs> and <laughs> made it, uh, drew it by hand as, as headings in, in pop musics. And I thought, well, how is it possible that uh, it worked from 40 years before suddenly pops up in, in, in England. <coughs> it, to, it has to do with general uh, streams of interest in, in countries. But for instance, uh, to my opinion, it's also part of the Swiss influence in, in English design and the clash between the Swiss 
uh, direction and the traditional direction is already very strong in England. And uh, that was a sign of clash where some very interesting things came out of. Uh, helped by the pop uh, magazines, mm -hmm. uh, very experimental typography of some of the en English designers. So uh, it's, it had it had some roots in this in the Swiss uh, direction. And in Holland, this never happened. In Holland, uh, design took a complete different path. Mm -hmm. So that's why uh, I always think that my work is more more popular in England than it ever was in Holland. Really. It really? was absolutely the, the first country where, where I saw my work reproduced was England. Yes. And then at the end of the 90s, uh, the foundry came to me and said, couldn't we uh, digitize your typefaces? Yeah. And uh, they uh, helped me to uh, complete the, the alphabets from, uh, from posters that I did for museums and so on. So suddenly it came all over me. Yes. Yes, no, that's very interesting. And Margaret, that's, a, that's an interesting point that Wim's raised, that, that um, you've actually got a section in the exhibition where you show some of the work by, I think, main, I think nearly all English designers, English people designers. like Peter Saville and, and uh, 8VO, who've, who've been influenced by Wim. I mean, that, that seems like a kind of interesting avenue Cert of discussion. Certainly. Well, I think that that section of the exhibition um, shows the legacy that um, Wim's work has um, is, is leaving the, Im the imprint he's left on the design community. But the fact that his work is so timeless, um, one thing is that he's taken uh, his influences from Swiss graphics, um, taken the language and created his own language. And the designers we feature in the legacy section do the same thing. They're not, it's the, the, the work that they create is not a pastiche of Krell's mm. work. It's very much they've taken it um, on to create a new... Uh, new work and um, it's actually quite um, international we've got mm -hmm. uh, David Pigeon from Australia uh, Carlson Wilker from um, the States um, so it's fun it's fascinating to see uh, the global mm -hmm. appeal that Wim's mm -hmm. uh, work has and mm -hmm. um, and also again across different disciplines so uh, not just print it's also um, on screen yeah. And um, within exhibition design, of course. And, and I think for anybody who wants wants to get some more Wim Crowell, you're, you're giving a talk tonight, Wim, aren't you? After this, you're tonight I have to give. Uh, I yeah. thought I thought it was sold out. I, I think it is. Yes, it is. Come, but they couldn't it get is. In oh anymore. dear. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, Sadly, it, it is. Well, yeah. this show is uh, will uh, make up a little bit for that. But that's um, that's tonight, isn't it? At the design museum. Yes, yeah. but there is another talk. I think later on in June. Yeah, and the twenty third oh. of June. Okay. There is another talk. All right, so Wim Crowell fans, make <laughs> yeah. that make that a make note in your in your diary. So we're nearly at the end now. I just wanted to Wim ask you a final question. Um, do you um, keep an, an eye out on the current scene? Do you do you look at what's going on? I look at everything that is happening uh, at the moment. Uh, I think we are in the middle of a kind of transition period in in design. Um, at the moment, we are in a very baroque period, very baroque. Uh, I don't like that that much, but on the other hand, <coughs> they're sometimes so interesting that work that I, you, I can't resist looking at it and, mm. and trying to find out why they do it. Mm -hmm. I'm sometimes very jealous on young designers with all their possibilities today. And on the other hand, I think poor designers with all these possibilities, how do you find your own path, your own way, your mm. own direction that you want to follow? I, I don't know, but... Uh, mm. Uh, I'm still very interested, yes. Good. And you're still working? You mentioned you've just done a book. 
I'm still working every now and then. Yeah, uh, yeah. I try to keep a work away from me, but uh, <laughs> uh, some of the commissioners are so nice that they can't say no. Yeah, yeah. No. Good. Well, I, 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 um, I'm very grateful that you, you came in today. Thank you very, very much. It's been fantastic talking to you. Anybody who hasn't seen the show, well, it's only just open, so not many people have, but, but uh, try and see the show because it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I was there on... Um, Tuesday night was was the launch night, and and it really is uh, a show not to miss. So, so Wim Kral, thank you very much. Margaret, thanks for coming in. Um, Wim's wife Judith has been very quietly sitting in the corner, correcting us on our um, musical knowledge from time to time. Um, that's it for this week. Um, thanks very much for listening. Thanks to Dragos for excellent engineering. Um, I don't know who's on the show next week, but we'll drag somebody in off the street. Thanks for listening. We're going to play out on a another one of. Um, Wim's choices. This is um, Gorechki. Do you want to say anything about that? Or should we no, just it's, that's much more romantic, but uh, it's the kind of music that grabs me immediately, so uh, okay. uh, let's not tell anything. Oh, right, okay. Just listen to well, the music. I'll, I'll just mention that it's <coughs> Henrik Gorechki, and it's his Symphony Number no. 3, uh, and here it is. <laughs>